This is Geeks and Jacks. And welcome back to Geeks and Jacks episode 120. This is it, the final episode of the season. Recording on the first day of summer, June 21st, 2022. This is Ryan Sullivan. Glad to have you listeners listening. <laughs> Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find this on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So right down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So, don't really have too much to get into, but definitely want to talk about five years of owning a PlayStation 4 some of the stuff going on with the NHL, talk about the NBA a little bit, uh, one of the surprise weekends for the box office for movie theaters, and probably the state of cable as well, given uh, that a show got canned before they even got put on the air. So, let's start off with the movies, because this past weekend... It was Lightyear that was the newest number one, the uh, newest wide release, and this was Pixar's first movie in the theater in just o- in a little over two years. Their last movie, I think, was Onward, which I did see in the theater and was pretty disappointed. That first half of Onward was just so slow and uninteresting, but that's the second half was really pretty good, but it it didn't save the first half from being that bad. That's that's how I see it. So you'd think Lightyear would have done something pretty good, but instead it was number two this weekend. Jurassic World Dominion retained the number one spot. Which is a little bit surprising, because I figured there'd be a pretty big drop, but $59 million, uh, in its second weekend. It's made almost $250 million domestically and a little over 373 internationally. So it's made $623 million uh, altogether throughout the world. And more than likely, it should reach about 700, 800 million, you know, within the next few weeks, depending on how much people are still interested in uh, this last of the second trilogy of Jurassic Park movies. And not to mention if there's any other markets that still have to put the movie in theaters. So, number two, Lightyear, just over $50 million. And I think that's that might be including the preview uh, showings on Thursday. That, I think it made about $5 million from what I remember. These numbers, by the way, uh, courtesy of Box Office Mojo. And only $33 million internationally. So $84 million. And this is a movie Disney put $200 million into the budget for. And probably... 50 plus million into marketing. The movie's not being panned according to according to this latest weekend article. People like it. It just people aren't interested. And I read something along the line that there are a couple of markets where it will not be shown in theaters. If I could see how many there are. Um... 34.6 million in 43 markets. That is that that's really bad. I think the problem is it's a spin-off and they're trying to make a story around the real Buzz Lightyear. And it doesn't have anything to do with Toy Story, which you know, uh, I'll be honest, 
it's a franchise that holds a special place in my heart. It's a movie series that all all four movies really really good. They've all been phenomenal, funny, sentimental. You know, they they do. There was some fun stuff with these movies, and I don't think really, I don't think Chris Evans being the lead role instead of Tim Allen made this movie flop. I, I just think it just came at a time where you know people just aren't interested, and. Even when it was announced, I don't think a lot of people would be too interested. I'd figured this movie would have done eighty million. I would have thought this would have done better, at least domestically, make eighty million, just based on the strength of Toy Story. But I think this is going to be a major flop for Disney, unless this finds a way to stay consistent in performances. Uh, for the next two months, this movie is going to be a failure. And maybe this is just me. I can't be the only one thinking this. Maybe Disney should stop shelling out $200 million to these Pixar projects. Maybe scale back on the budgets. The CGI, I mean, sure, it keeps getting better and better for these animated films. But... How much is it really going into the animation, and how much of it is going into the celebrities and all this other stuff? That's what I'm a little concerned about. Because I don't think any of these movies, I don't think some of these animated movies of Disney should be anywhere close to those numbers for budgets. I'm not saying don't skimp out completely, but... They might have to stop at some point with giving every animated movie a $200 million budget. So moving into number three, the only other double-digit million number. And still holding off strong after three-plus weeks at the box office, Top Gun Maverick. It has become Tom Cruise's biggest movie ever. 44 million domestically over the weekend. I mean, which for a movie that's been out since Memorial Day weekend, I mean, 466 million domestically. This is definitely going to hit 500 million. 600 million, I don't know, but this seems like this should be, I think, make a billion dollars. And be probably the only Tom Cruise movie to make a billion dollars. And that is unless Mission Impossible 7 does gangbusters based on how Tom Cruise has done in in recent years. Really unbelievable. And it surpassed the movie that is at number 4 for highest grossing domestic Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness its numbers were not that great but still when you think about it being in theaters actually it's been in theaters for about a month and a half so I think people got their Marvel movie fix in and so it's not a steep drop for its uh, seventh weekend in the box office, 4.4 million. Uh, let's see, 405 million domestic, 537 international, 943 worldwide. And the last movie to be in the millions is the Bob's Burgers movie, which is at 1.1 million. And so it's nearing $30 million. And it's only made a little over two million internationally. It just eclipsed thirty-two million. I, I don't know if it's just the market. I'm I'm wondering about the international market. I'm very curious about it because I'm thinking back to when the last Ice Age movie hit theaters back in 2016, 
it did not do all that great here in the states. It only made I think sixty million. Now it was I think the lowest grossing of the movies for quite some time for this for the franchise, but it made I think a little over two hundred million internationally, and it wasn't on a bad budget either. I think it was right around eighty million, and actually that's why I think all the Blue Sky movies cost around like between like seventy and ninety million. I mean, obviously, this movie is 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 flopping. It's flopping very, very badly. So, moving into the rest of the top ten, number six, the bad guys, nine hundred eighty thousand, just made its way to ninety four million domestic and one forty three uh, internationally. Number seven, everything, everywhere, all at once. Had a little bit of a drop. It's in 679 theaters. It's still making some form of money. 959,000. It's made its way to 86 million worldwide. 64 domestic, 21 international. Downtown Abbey, a new era. Uh, 830,000 at number eight. Made its way past 42 million uh, domestic, internationally 45. Probably not the type of numbers they were expecting uh, altogether. Number nine, we get to a big drop. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, 228,000. It just made its way past 190 million over the week. So it's Nearing 400 million, I would think this would make it to 400 million. But that's probably easier said than done. Only in 439 theaters, so obviously it's had its run in theaters. And number 10 is Brian and Charles. Looks like a serious movie. Or maybe a little psycho. I don't know. Uh, 198,000. I think that's in 279 theaters. Which isn't bad. But isn't isn't great either. I, I don't know. I, it's hard to gauge how good this stuff is. So as far as this upcoming week goes. There's only two wide releases. The Black Foam, which looks like a horror movie, and uh, Elvis. I would think Elvis would be number one, but I don't know. It's it, it's hard to gauge whether or not this will do well based on the. I mean, Elvis is from a different era. And sure, there are people that are in love with his music of all generations, but I don't know. Will people be interested? It'll do decent numbers, but actually I want to see what the budget is for that movie. Now that I think about it, I want to see what the budget is. Let's take a look. Elvis budget that can't be right are you serious 85 million and just seeing another movie that's on there uh, walk the line which is from 05 28 million rocket man 40 million I mean these are movies from within the last 20 years uh, wow. Uh, pretty cheap budget for uh, the 87 movie La Bamba. Respect. 55 million. That's pretty good for... Um, that was what, last year I think? That's a pretty good budget. What's love got to do with it? I think that's the Tina Turner movie from the early 90s. I'm trying to think like... 
That's that's pretty good, actually. Yeah, this movie definitely needs to do some gangbusters and hope that word of mouth and multiple generations that love Elvis do really well. Otherwise, I think this is going to be a struggle. Let's look at some of the limited releases. Um, Lost Highway, which I think say is a 2022 re-release. Uh, this is some sort of like psychological film. Oy. Flux Gourmet. Looks like a documentary. Set at an institute devoted to culinary and alimentary performance, a collective finds themselves embroiled in power struggles, artistic vendettas. This is supposed to be like an artsy-fartsy type of film involving food and art. Or something else in particular. Apples. Amidst a worldwide pandemic that causes sudden amnesia, middle-aged heiress finds himself enrolled in a recovery program designed to help unclaimed patients build new identities. Probably one of those effed-up movies. The discreet charm of the Borgoese? Is that how you say it? Looks like a weird movie since it's centered around dreams of six middle-class people. And they're consistently interrupted attempts to have a meal together. Murder at Yellowstone City. Former slave arrives. Okay, a drama. Press play. Press diamond in the rough. New college grad is given a chance to turn her life around when she joins a stuffy country club. Looks like it could be like a comedy drama. Really could be. Let's look at press play. A young woman has a chance to save the love of her life when she discovers that the mixtape they made together looks like a, looks like a weird sci-fi. Supposed to be like a sci-fi comedy drama. Time travel through a mixtape. And there's a lot of limited releases uh, coming up on the next weekend. And the biggest movie, the the wide, the biggest wide release of the bunch, is Minions: The Rise of Gru at the start of July. That movie's probably going to do way better numbers in its opening weekend than uh, Lightyear, if I had to take a guess. And people do like the Despicable Me movies. They're all well-received, I think, with the exception of the first Minions. But that wasn't hated at all. Uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. If people love the third Thor movie, I think it should have a big weekend on July 8th. It's a matter of, I think, reception and if people will really enjoy uh, a fourth going of Thor. Uh, let's see what we got next for as far as like July weekend stuff. Where the Crawdads Sing. That sounds like a sounds like an animated film, but I don't know. Take a quick look. Oh, drama. Take a quick look, see if they have a description of it. Okay, yeah, crime drama, probably. Just going by the description. Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. I've seen trailers of this from from seeing a couple Paramount movies in the theater. Looks kind of weird, but... Be interesting to see, uh, I believe it's Michael Sarah being trained by Samuel L. Jackson. A lot of limited stuff at that point. Uh, let's see, we got Nope, which is the Jordan Peele movie that comes out July 22nd. I would think, based on the fact that it's Jordan Peele, should do really, really well. 
I am very curious about the My Donkey, My Lover, and I. It's a limited release that's coming out uh, at the end of July. I would think that would be a funny, funny movie. Uh, end of July is a couple, couple wide releases. Vengeance, comedy mystery th- thriller. Radio host attempts to solve the murder of a girl he hooked up with. Travels down south. Kind of sounds like a drama rather than a comedy. DC League of Super Super Pets. Kevin Hart and The Rock. It's got to be like the fourth or fifth movie they've done in the last six six years. And I've only and I've only seen one of them in the theater. Actually, to take that back, The Drive-In, and that is um, Central Intelligence, because I really wanted to see that movie. I'm just going to take a brief look. Uh, oh, there's a uh, Popeye film coming out in August. Oh, I, I'm kind of curious now. There's like four, there's like four wide releases in August. So it'll be interesting to see how that fares, uh, how these movies fare. Actually, just take a brief look. Uh, hmm. A lot, lot of limited stuff on the 12th. Alright, I've seen a limited, there's a limited release here that, Emily the Criminal. It's a limited release with, uh, is that, was that again? Aubrey Plaza? Doesn't seem like the type of type of actress to do something like that, but then again, could do many things. You know, avoid the typecast. Some horror stuff around the end of August, and I'll have to see what happens next. Uh, definitely want to do a couple bonus episodes like I usually do now. And, yeah. I think this summer's going to be interesting. It'll be, since we're getting out of the pandemic, still in it, but we're slowly but surely getting out, and things have been pretty lenient over the last three months, give or take, maybe four. Moving on to uh, sports. The NBA finished up, I think it was Friday, no, Thursday, and it resulted in the Golden State Warriors winning their fourth title in eight years, in six attempts, in a 103-90 to win against the Boston Celtics. So obviously this makes a bunch of change to the legacies of Steve Kerr, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. These guys are going to be, I think, forever immortalized in California basketball, NBA basketball, uh, Golden State in general. And probably put Kerr in as one of the biggest legends in all of the NBA. Kind of like in that way of... Kind of like how Phil Jackson was sort of a mastermind as a coach. And a modest player, you could say, when he was a player back in the 60s and 70s. Kerr was not the greatest player in the world in the 80s and 90s, but he was able to find a stroke and be part of some big-name teams, particularly when he was on the Bulls teams back in the uh, mid-90s. So, how did it fare in terms of viewership? Not that great. Improvement over uh, the last couple of years, but compared to where it was uh, get that out how many people watched the NBA Finals still lagging that they say 
and only managed to get for game six 13.99 million viewers. And, you know, you think brink of elimination that a team as big as the as the Celtics, you know, one of the golden child uh, franchises for the NBA, you think them along with maybe people wanting to see the Warriors lose whilst you got the Warriors fans that are, you know, div- you know, big fans. You think they would fare quite a bit, but no, I believe there was an article that mentioned game six of the 2019 finals where the Warriors lost to uh, Toronto. There was about 18 million viewers for, I believe it was game six. The average viewership, according to AS.com, averaged 15 million viewers. I think I think people will get back into it for sure. They definitely have been this year. That said, I mean it's I think it it, it gets tiring. I think people are just tired of the Warriors. And really these games were decided by 10 plus points. I mean, how many people are going to watch blowouts even if you're a fan do you get bored with the blowouts I'm not even kidding you probably turn the TV off just to go to sleep because you know you have a job in the morning and these and these games being on late at night certainly don't help just make it 8 o'clock or 7.30 like, forget the West Coast. Like, try and get your viewerships all around. Like, stop catering to the West Coast everywhere. I would say the same thing to apply to MLB and uh, NHL to a lesser extent, but especially college sports. Forget the, forget the West Coast for the NCAA championship. Air the damn thing at 8, eight o'clock, so that way... People can see one shining moment at like 10.15, not midnight. And very briefly with NHL, 6-2 final um, from last night's game. Uh, Tampa Bay beating Colorado. Uh, Colorado, pretty convincing uh, in in Game 2, winning 7-0. Bounce back win uh, in Game 1. Winning in overtime, and I think it was like 4-3 was the final. So, Tampa ain't out of it yet. And as we look at the baseball stuff, let's take a look at the standings. The New York Yankees have found themselves at 50 wins now, following a big win against the Tampa Bay Rays. And 12-game lead over the Toronto Blue Jays. Boston Red Sox have been uh, red hot as of late. 37-31 for the year. They just moved past uh, Tampa for third place. And even the Orioles are playing some pretty decent ball. Still not a good record, 30-38, and but it is pretty, pretty good. Right now, there isn't really a strong AL Central team. I mean, Minnesota, 38-30, but you got Cleveland Guardians, second, uh, 34-28, and then the rest being uh, below 500. White Sox, probably the only other team to be anywhere close to having a chance to get back into the race for the for the divisional crown. Thirty two and thirty three for the year. They've been playing okay in the last ten games. Four and a half behind Minnesota. Guardians are a game behind. It's all based on the record, so I can't really put too much comment on it. 
And the Houston Astros, uh, despite their struggles, 41 and 25. Um, the AL West looks like it's been struggling as of late. Three and seven in the last ten games for both the Seattle Mariners and the Oakland Athletics. Athletics 23 and 45. I believe that is the worst record across all of baseball. Um, worst definitely in the American League, that's for sure. Angels 33 and 37. And 31-35, Texas Rangers. Both of them are 10 games behind uh, Houston. Definitely have done pretty well. Dusty Baker doing uh, well, a well-done job. Heading into the National League, uh, the Mets are 45-24, and doing pretty well again. Atlanta Braves uh, losing a couple games recently uh, after losing a... 14-game winning streak against the Chicago Cubs over the over the first of a three-game series this past weekend. But to be able to get back into the race for the National League wild card and certainly the East Division, 39-29. Philadelphia Phillies playing pretty well under Rob Thompson. They are eight and a half behind the Mets, but they could make themselves a case for getting into the wild card. And of course... Marlins 29-36, and Nationals among the worst of Major League Baseball. Milwaukee and St. Louis, man, September is going to be exciting. Uh, 39-30 Milwaukee and 38-31 uh, St. Louis. None of the other teams come close to having a fight for the divisional title. Uh Worse being the Cincinnati Reds, uh, 23 and 43, the Cubbies, 25 and 42, uh, and, and uh, Pittsburgh, uh, 27 and 39. All three of those teams haven't been looking good the last 10 games. Uh, same thing with the Nationals in the East. Uh, Philly, the Mets, and the Braves are all playing some pretty good baseball as of as of late. Uh, both the Dodgers and the Padres have been struggling a bit recently in the NL West, but they still hold first and second place, respectively. San Francisco getting back into form a little bit, uh, 37-29. and Tell you what, NL West is going to look pretty exciting when you have, as of right now, you got eight teams that could fight for for those six spots. It's going to make September pretty fun to watch. And actually, keep your eyes a little bit maybe on, I'd say, I'd say the next closest team. I'd say keep an eye on Arizona, see how they fare. If they struggle like they are right now, then yeah, they're out. But I feel like they could get out of this funk and, and get back into playing good ball. And I believe there was no NASCAR. I believe their next race is in Nashville. So, so see where they are. Yeah, the last race was at uh, Sonoma, which they get to be back on NBC. Be kind of curious to see how they fare because uh, they don't have NBC Sports Network anymore and I think I read something that NASCAR is going to be on USA. So it'll be nice to break up from having all the Dick Wolf shows on there. And speaking of which, uh, one of the sadder notes to bring up when talking about the USA Network is Everett Peck uh, moving to TV. Everett Peck uh, passed away at the age of 71 from cancer. Uh, going by the articles being written. And he was the creator of Duckman, which ran for about three-plus years, four seasons, I believe, on the USA Network. Now, when you think of USA now these days, you typically think Dick Wolf, particularly the Chicago shows and Law and & Order, because that's all they ever really air. You might get a movie or two in, and maybe some wrestling. But otherwise, it's just Dick Wolf this, Dick Wolf that. 
I would say Dick Wolf kind of overloading with all his TV shows on CBS and NBC. I think he has like eight that are on the air right now. You got what, like two Law and Orders, three Chicago shows. I think there's like three FBI shows. But I digress. Back in the 90s, I mean, USA had their fair share of dramas, crimes, comedy, and, you know, in comes this cartoon. It was a late, later show, you know, from the 90s, uh, from like, uh, was it, 94? Uh, your main guy playing Duckman was Jason Alexander, and playing a very crazy duck that solves cases and it's just just a lazy type of character foul mouth and just all this other stuff like just imagine putting uh, Alexander's Seinfeld character George into a blender and just making him a cartoon he did work on a number of shows I think there was like a few of them that that caught my eye. Like I knew Jumanji wasn't the biggest hit of the bunch, but there was a cartoon and he was involved in that. Uh, trying to think of like other stuff. I believe he worked on an episode of of Rugrats, like very very early Rugrats when when the show was. When the show was first new. See, he worked on Godzilla. He worked on... Men in Black the Cartoon. Did a show called Squirrel Boy. I feel like I vaguely remember Squirrel Boy. It was like a weird... Like a weird show. It looks like... looks like a type of show that could have belonged on, like, a Hanna-Barbera show, or, like, classic-looking animation type of show. I'm trying to think of, like, who was... Hmm. Just trying to think of who was... Eh, not really anyone too recognizable outside of, uh... see, Tom Kenny and, uh, Pamela Adlin. Billy West was in that show. That's interesting. I think I'm trying to think of like another show where they had like there was like some show that had some big name actors in it. At least that's what I remember. But yeah, such a shame, really, because I mean I remember Duckman being on a little bit in reruns on Comedy Central. I haven't seen the show in about twenty years. Yeah, kind of a shame USA don't kind of pay tribute at all. Then again, they're more focused on crime shows, so... But then again, he was called the private dick. Family man. Fit something into there. <laughs> um, as, as far as, like, trying to integrate crime, crime shows, you know. Uh, speaking of cable shows TBS and this might be the this might be something that I'm not sure people have gravitated towards in recent years but like dating shows I think USA's got their fair share of of shows and actually uh, speaking of USA for a brief second um, some of their bigger original shows that they have on right now, before I forget, uh, like the, those Crisley shows, wonder what happens with those shows. I would think they would get canned a little bit because of, I think, the husband and wife uh, committing bank fraud and facing potentially 30 years in prison, like federal prison, if I'm not mistaken. It just seems like a lot of these like reality shows that focus on a family it just seems like it always ends in controversy. I mean, look at what happened with those idiot Duger families. 
uh, family. Like, look at all their controversy. And yet TLC is still willing to bend over for them, although I think they stopped altogether. Someone correct me if I'm wrong on that. Anyway, moving back to the Big D, which is a dating competition hosted by JoJo... JoJo Fletcher and Jordan Rogers. Oh, wait. She's married to Jordan Rogers, which is the brother of douchebag um, Aaron Rogers. So, this was a show I think that was getting hyped up a bit, judging by some of the... Um, like promos I seen a little bit here and there on television. This was supposed to come out July seventh. Abrupt cancellation of the ten episode show, essentially a tax write off. I think so this was ordered in March twenty twenty one and I wouldn't be surprised if this is coming off of I mean, so what's the point in seeing the show then if if it's getting canned already? Like I think this has a lot to do with Warner Discovery. And I think Warner Discovery and they've been trying to get rid of a lot of fat that I think Turner had with a lot of their like TV shows and programs that they've had over the years. Last year, TBS got rid of Family Guy, Everybody Loves Raymond, and Seinfeld for as far as reruns go. They went back to putting on Family Matters, which they did have at one point, uh, way back in the mid to late 90s, and um, they brought in uh, George Lopez, and they along with like some of the very few shows that they still rerun. I'm trying to think of like originals like there's not really a lot of original shows they have anymore. I think there's Miracle Workers and one or two other shows that aren't reality based that they still air. Kinda of curious to see what happens with the misery index now that I think about it. Actually I wonder if that show is entirely can't too because of because they have the impractical jokers. I wonder if that's canned entirely because of Joe uh, Gatto being oh, being off the Impractical Jokers. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I know TNT, they don't really have anything anymore. They have two shows that are scripted, one of which is going off the air. But Animal Kingdom and Snowpiercer are definitely going to be gone. And after that, they don't have much left. I mean, they got... NBA, NHL, which I was reading something a while back that the that the New York Rangers pretty much saved um, the NHL playoffs in terms of ratings and giving them big revenues. And they got they got wrestling though it's not anything like when they had WCW, and I'm not even a wrestling fan. They it just feels very interchangeable with the movies they air because it's always the same movies. It's always, hey, here's Star Wars, here's Marvel or DC, hey, here's Central Intelligence. It, it's it's all interchangeable. And they might as well just get rid of both networks. I think they're going to get rid of both networks at some point. And or at least merge them together to form a big network. Because I can't see them putting up too much after all the original shows are gone that aren't uh, reality-based. That'll be interesting to see because TVS relies so much on Friends and the Big Bang Theory for their reruns. And TNT... They don't really have a lot of dramas to air. Like, like right now, their biggest 
Cal is, I think, NCIS New Orleans. And I think they are on the verge of getting rid of Supernatural from the looks of it. And they just got rid of Bones. I think they got rid of Castle last year. They don't really have a lot to go back to for reruns. I mean, just merge them together. You get some points where you have, say, just in a hypothetical if it were to happen, uh, Charmed at like 6 and 7, then like an hour George Lopez, then maybe an hour, I think they just acquired uh, one of the better known Fox shows, Lucifer. You put in like Lucifer, and then a couple hours of Friends, like... And if there's sporting events, you take time to air those. I don't know. Warner, Warner Discovery is going to have a lot of interesting things to do. Like, I know they got rid of like the CNN app, which I think they were expecting higher numbers or probably didn't want to deal with any controversy back in the spring. Who knows? But yeah, um... Uh, Cable's changing in a huge way. And who knows what's getting the streaming treatment. While probably Cable will still survive this decade, 2030s, who knows. Hard to tell. Hard to predict. So, yeah. So... Moving on to the last thing that I'll bring up, gaming. The only other things that, before I get into why I wanted to talk about PlayStation, I think like the biggest thing I've heard of um, Sonic Origins is some music being redone and people getting disappointed at the lack of the Michael Jackson and Brad Buxer tracks for later half of Sonic 3. And people getting so upset about it. And honestly, those tracks are okay to maybe decent. I'd say one or two are superb. But they're not the type of sound... Like, I don't know. I don't really think of Michael Jackson when I listen to the game. They fit the themes of the levels good, but... Sonic and Knuckles collection on on the PC holds a special place in my heart because that's how I played Sonic 3 and Knuckles for many years. And hearing the the other tracks which were in a prototype that was leaked uh, or brought forth a few years ago I mean were, were pretty good alternative sounds. But yeah. So without further ado end this uh, episode and end this season with talking about PlayStation 4. Now, PlayStation 4 has been out for almost nine years. And it's a system that I've had for roughly five years, give or take. It is a system that I have gotten so much enjoyment out of over the years. And, you know, when I look back to almost 10 years ago, I mean, I was content with playing Xbox 360 and nothing much else. I mean, getting a PS3, more so my father, around Christmas 2012 and playing some of that for a little while not really thinking about a new generation of systems. Of course, 2013 brings forth the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. And for those, for those uh, three plus years after they came out, I didn't really think of much of a reason to to get into a new system. I was pretty content with playing uh, the 360. You know, I felt like despite having the system or playing the system for three years or so, I didn't feel the need to upgrade. Even like an enhanced GTA 5, 
it still wasn't enough to enhance it for me, and didn't really think much of the libraries either. It it was hard to justify spending 300 for a 500 gigabyte model, especially when you think about it today with all the games getting 50 gigs or higher per game. And that's not to say all of them are like that. You'll have your share of games that are megabytes or even a couple gigabytes. But I just didn't feel the need to get one unless they offered better storage as well. And started seeing some of the games that were appearing on there and seeing Doom Beam on the new systems and a few other games. I felt tempted to go towards PlayStation 4. And with PlayStation 4, one of their big then exclusives was coming out for the summer of 2017. And it was announced that Crash Bandicoot was coming back. I think at that point, there hadn't been a console Crash game in about seven years. If not, maybe eight. And they were remastering the original three games that were on the original PlayStation and putting them on PS4. Which was pretty cool because Crash Bandicoot was one of the very first PlayStation games I ever played circa 1997-98. Both both the first and second game. They were pretty good games. And having experienced them now as an adult, they are still amazing games. And it kind of tilted more towards, you know what, I'll get myself a... uh, PlayStation, uh, a PlayStation 4, because this seems like it'd be plenty of fun to enjoy, it seems like it'd be a great way to get a game that really I want to play, and so this came about early 2017, and this was also on the heels of PS4 getting a $300 one terabyte a uh, model that I was like, alright, I definitely do need to save up, and around the springtime, started working, still working now these days, five straight, over five years at the same job at, at the time of recording this episode, and saving up to get myself a uh, PS4. Little did I know about the uh, state of play for... Uh, that June, because my thought process was, you know what, maybe I'll get myself a controller and a game to go along with the system, and I managed to get myself, because I wanted to spend about $400, I was able to, because they dropped it to 50 at the time, get a game to go along with buying it online along with a controller for 40 on discount uh, managed to order a system from I, I think it was Best Buy and yeah I paid I paid with my own money and picked up a couple games picked up Doom which I really wanted to play picked up uh, Fallout 4 because I'd seen that being played on the Xbox One the year prior. And, yeah, they were on discount at that point, $30 each. It was it was fun to go back and, and play those games. Well, go back and watch and play a little bit of Fallout 4. And at that point, I mean, I was really getting back into PlayStation and been playing a bit more PS3 at that point to where I when I got to play the PS4 set it up it was it was just amazing to play you know some of these games and looking at the graphical quality like sure it wasn't the biggest leap over the previous generation but it was like little details here and there that really made me enjoy playing 
these titles. That first year or so, I mean, played those two games, uh, played a little MLB, the show 17, uh, picked up Puyo Puyo Tetris, which was out that year, and on impulse bought Duke Nukem 3D, 20th anniversary, and I managed to play that a bit, and then getting my hands on Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, like the week, like after the week, first weekend it came out, and playing it, and getting back into, you know, playing the games that were near and dear to my childhood in PS4 form. Definitely took a while to get back to playing Crash Bandicoot 2 because at that point I did not have a copy of that game. I had copies of 1, 3, and Crash Team Racing. Actually, uh, Crash Team Racing uh, Nitro Fueled and Crash Bandicoot 4 are two games that I bought day one uh, when they came out. So yeah, it was it was great to go back and play play uh, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. What well, go through those games, you know, in a new compilation. Then I think after that, didn't really pick up too much over the summer. Bought Watch Dogs because I thought, eh, give it a shot again. I had played it right around when it was somewhat new, but not really new. And still kind of shared the same feelings. Definitely was overhyped a little bit. Still good, but overhyped. Uh, also bought The Last of Us Remastered as well. I think it was like $10 at the time. Uh, trying to think of like anything else. Sonic Mania, I bought digitally day one. That is one of the best games that I've played as on the, as far as the Sonic series goes. And it like I love Sonic Three and Knuckles and to play in that style again it was just mm, so good. Um after that, uh started picking up more and more titles. I picked up like a UFC game, picked up Wolfenstein, The New Order, and uh, Old Blood, Rocket League, and some other titles. Starting to take advantage of the free games that were being out. Like one notable one was Batman, the Telltale series. And that first year, I mean, it was just, it was just really fun to play those games. I mean, I gravitated between both the PS3 and PS4. For a good couple of years, but it it didn't matter. It was I was having fun with the PlayStation again. It was just it was just nice to go back to it and just have so much fun with it. You know, as as far as a brand name of, of consoles go, and in five years' time, plenty of titles. I would love to you know next year talk. Xbox One because that's a system I that's a system I I wrestled with thinking about getting it at one point. It was just something that it's like I don't know, but to get it at a good price uh, in 2018, I mean, especially to play something like a Rare Replay. But yeah, five years of PlayStation Four. And I'm definitely going to keep playing it for another five years or so. Because I don't see this system dying off that quickly. So that about wraps up this season of Geeks and Jocks. Um, definitely want to do uh, you know another bonus episode or two during the summer. Probably do something mid-July and maybe one like mid-August before coming back into form around early mid-September. As I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, episode 120 and season 4 in the books. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. 
for the in the fall in the bonus episodes as well stay safe take care of yourself take care everyone <laughs>